0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation.
0: All right. How are you, buddy? What's happening? Ah, not too bad. Wednesday evening with uh, the awesome foursome. Awesome foursome. We've
1: got an interesting podcast today and I guess just to sort of before we dive in and sort of preface this conversation with the fact that um, I guess we're reporting on a what would be considered a, a live ongoing situation with some potentially dodgy things that have happened in our industry. And we're, we're going to sort of remove specific names and dates and events to protect the innocent until, pro- until proven guilty. <laughs> um, but we felt that it was I guess incumbent upon us to talk about what's happening because obviously we're protective of our industry. Um, and so maybe let's stop talking in riddles and, and tell people exactly <laughs> what it is we're talking about, but it's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, well let's introduce our guests first. So both have been on the podcast before. We've got Ian Carroll from On Vogue, and we've got Johan Kalanta, who's the famous Netflix criminal lawyer. <laughs> so maybe we'll go back to Ian first. Ian, do you want to introduce yourself again? It's been a while since you've been on the podcast.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me back. Uh, So my name is Ian Carroll. I'm the Managing Director of En Vogue. We're a boutique uh, aesthetic distributor. uh, Started in 2019. So yeah.
0: Fantastic.
2: And Jahan?
3: Um, Hi, everybody. My name is Jahan Kalanta. I am a criminal defense and I guess commercial disputes litigation lawyer and the managing partner of a firm called Executive Law Group here in Sydney, um, I've been representing and um, you know assisting people in this space for a fair, you know, quite a few years now, and it's uh, it's a pleasure to be back on IA.
1: Yeah, well, you're like a you're like one of the regulars now. Whenever we've got a, a legal issue or a legal challenge, it's uh, either yourself or your wonderful uh, business partner Clarice that, that comes on and clears up the muddy waters of the legal world for us. So thank you very much for coming back on.
3: Well, thank you for making me a friend of the show. And dare I say it, a friend of you, Dave, and a friend of you, Jake. <laughs> it's our pleasure.
0: Now, maybe we um, tell our listeners who are probably thinking, what the heck are they yes. talking about? I mean, how, how did this all come about? And I think I'm going to go back to Ian for this one because I had – I. I I had heard some things from injectors who had texted me about various um, things, and I, I wasn't at an event that Ian's company was. So maybe, Ian, you could sort of paint a scene for us of what we're talking about.
2: Sure. So I think maybe in August there was a fairly large event and a an aesthetic event with healthcare practitioners attending and a product was being discussed and promoted and so forth, um, that there was some rumors around its eligibility to be promoted. I guess is probably the best way of saying it. With a bit of investigation, it does seem that the product hasn't been registered by the TGA, um, and, but is still being actively promoted and possibly sold. So it's a completely unique situation and the 20 years I've been involved in aesthetics, I've never heard of it. Um, it is a, it's a, it's what we would consider in medicine. So it's got a very specific, quite a high level of requirement to, to get registered. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, the more we uncover of this onion, the more we realize that, yeah, there's probably some fairly dodgy things happen. So
0: yeah. Right. And I guess, it, it's public knowledge. It, it's a filler product. It's a new filler from Korea. Yeah. We won't say its name, yeah. but yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And I guess it, it's, it's kind of pertinent because we are living, especially in, in, in Australia here, in a world that's had our industry come under the microscope um, of potential dodginess. We've got new regulations that came out on July 1 this year, which tightened the reins on how things were being done in our industry, the scripting process, the the responsibility for doctors now that are providing scripts. And so we also, and I was just talking to you about this earlier, Jake, every time we hop on social media, there's someone sending you a message or trying to get onto your page to sell you a dodgy dodgy product, whether it be a toxin or a filler. And as our industry evolves and it becomes more popular and more people are taking it up, um, these sorts of things tend to be coming up more and more regularly. And now we've got a situation which looks like a product has now physically tried to be promoted and sold to healthcare practitioners and business owners in this space without the proper TGA approval. And that has a number of potential consequences and flow on effects. And I guess that's sort of where we're at.
0: Yeah, and maybe just to clear up some uh, nomenclature, the TGA is a bit like the FDA in America, or, you know, other countries have similar sort of authorities. They are. Uh, you know, the regulator from the health department here in Australia that sort of define what is approved, what's licensed, what's safe. And they're the people. And and Ian, maybe you can sort of give us some information Mm. because, you know, you run a company that imports threads and fillers and a few other things. So what's your experience with the TGA and how does it all work? Yeah, look, I think the TGA do a fantastic job. I think they keep Australian
2: consumers and healthcare practitioners safe. That you know, there is a fairly lengthy process on registering a product. It's seven stages. Um, The requirement on the manufacturer or the supplier of the products is to provide a dossier of product. And that ranges from, you know, um, the clinical data, the safety data, side effects, uh, the manufacturing process. And in some cases with filler. It requires a TGA audit. So physically someone will go to the factory and walk through the documents and so forth. It's a it's a, an intensive process designed to analyze the product and make sure that what's on the label or what's being said is um, is is true. Yeah. Um, quite an expensive process. I think around $150 to 200000 dollars in fees to, to to get the product registered. But at the end of the day, people should be confident that they've got a safe product in their hands. And I think in this situation, you know, they haven't gone through the process or or they're going through the process and maybe they haven't finalised it. Um, So there is a risk, a genuine risk here. So, um, yeah, I guess that's where my concern came from originally.
1: Yeah. And just maybe just to flesh out what those risks look like. So, I mean, you alluded to the fact that it's potentially in the approval process at some stage and it hasn't been finalized. So it doesn't have its official stamp of approval, but that it's ready to inject. So I guess yeah. if, if we take that on face value and, and, and assume that it's true, we're probably dealing with a product and that's come from Korea. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the name of the company, but it seems like it probably is a legitimate product. But someone has jumped the yeah. gun and tried to expedite this process for some sort of commercial business reason. And so from my perspective as a business owner and someone that's run teams of injectors before, the questions that come to my mind, and obviously Ian would would love to hear what you have to say, but also particularly Jahan from a legal perspective, um, is A, what kind of situation can unfold if you're treating a patient with a product that's not approved from like a healthcare practitioner's perspective? So if you're a nurse or a doctor, um, what repercussions could potentially land on, on your shoulders for administering a product that hasn't got that official approval. Um, so you've got your regulatory implications. Number two, um, what happens from a medico legal perspective? So if you inject a patient with this product and let's just say they have a horrific adverse event, let's, let's, for the sake of argument, say it's a vascular occlusion, which leads to blindness or stroke or something horrific like that. Where does that put this healthcare practitioner? Because they have acquired this product under the assumption or after being told that it's all legitimate and approved. So they haven't done anything malicious, they've just been misled. So what's their sort of situation from a, from a medical or legal perspective? And then the third one, and potentially less obvious, but maybe it's sort of intertwined with the, with the legal side of things, Jahani, is from an insurance perspective. And I know you're not an insurance broker, so you can't probably give specific insurance, but I guess we can use some common sense um, thoughts here to sort of unravel that. But for me as someone, as a business owner, and if I was an injector, those are the questions that would come to my mind. I
0: can't even remember question one. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, yeah. Jahan,
1: go. Sorry. Well, maybe Ian first, <laughs> I comes. guess, and then we'll, we'll go to Jahan. I mean, you know, you, you're dealing with healthcare practitioners all day, every day, Ian, yeah. and you've been in the industry for a very long time. So do you, do you mean me to recap on any of those points, or you got no, it all? No, 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 I think I, think, I, think I, I, think yeah.
2: I got it. I, look, I think when a new product comes to market, yeah. you know, Australian healthcare practitioners I think have a, uh, um, there's an expectation that it's approved. Yep. We've never had this before, you know. Uh, actually, pretty sad indictment of that we've got to the situation where this product's in, maybe in this situation. But, yeah, so I think there's an expectation, to your point, that this product's approved. It's in my hands. This person's talked to me about it. He sold it to me. I've paid money and so forth. Um, from a regulatory point of view, I think – it probably maybe not the TGA, it would be the local health department. So New South Wales Health would have a, a problem with this because this product's being moved around. It's, it, it's it's in a clinic. It doesn't have the proper registration. So that would endanger, I would think, and again, I'm, I'm not a, an expert in this, but I would endanger the, the poisons license of the person holding the product, i.e. the clinic. From a medical legal point of view, I, I can only imagine that if it got to a court of law... This would be a huge problem um, that you know you're using a product that hasn't gone through the a proper process, um, um yeah. So a massive problem for an injector, I would think. Um, and the third part of your question, Mark? well,
1: with in- insurance policy, so I mean,
2: I guess an unemployed, right? I yeah, well, assume, I, I, I would but, think so. Yeah. Um, but those are the yeah.
1: obvious questions. I mean, what do you think about yeah. that, Jahan? I mean, have we sort of well, well, hit to the major key started- points?
3: Yeah. I think so. Let's start at the back and work our way to the front. When it comes to insurance, the assumption you should have, and I I say this, some of my best friends are insurance in the insurance game. Insurance's job is to move liability away from the insurer. And any way they can do that, they will do so. So they will say, it's not my problem nor my concern that you used a product that doesn't approve or gel with the legislation you should have known, even if it was impossible for you to know. And so I think you can safely assume that you'd be, you know, up the paddle um, in relation to your insurance. If you use a product that's, that's ill approved, I could be wrong. There are better providers. There are worse providers, but as a general proposition, I don't think it's unreasonable to say the way insurance companies make money is by denying claims. And so, um, you know that's that's perhaps a crass yeah. um, a crass way of putting it, but I think that's a fairly safe yeah. a fairly safe assumption. Yeah. When I look at problems, I try to look at them through two lenses. One is the the private tort side of things, the medico legal. Um, the other is the criminal side of things. Now, I think it would be a very dark day indeed if you, in good faith, used a product, caused an injury, and were charged by the police for that. But those things do happen, okay. A possibility, you know, it's unlikely, but it's a possibility. Mm. The the the. Thankfully, we've never had a case like this, which has come through, um, because these things are often only tested once they're in the crucible of real life, and things are happening, and you know. But from a medical legal perspective, I guess one of the questions will be: How much did you really look into it? How much did you know? What questions did you ask? And when it comes to regulators, they generally tend to be fairly unforgiving. Um, when it, when it comes to questions of, you know, I didn't know, I couldn't have known, I shouldn't have known. In this case, I think the regulator would have to, you know, would have to accept that, hey, a lot of fraud took place or alleged acts of fraud which perpetuated this, but it's just causing you headaches. And I think that one of the things that is so important is to be making sure that you're getting up-to-date information, making sure you're not taking people's word for it, um, and really making sure that, you you're getting your information from trusted reliable sources mm. because that's sort of the challenge you can't simply say i didn't know or i you know i wasn't aware because you could have been it's 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 harder in this case because allegedly there's fraud allegedly allegedly there's misleading and deceptive you know sort of conduct it adds a whole layer to it that that's very complicated Yeah. Mm. And what
1: about, so we we sort of covered like, uh, I guess, being criminally charged by a regulator, but what if the patient wanted to sue the healthcare practitioner for damages, which I guess is kind of like a separate area of law than being criminally charged by a regulator. So patient A comes in, gets a horrible um, adverse event that results in some sort of deformity or some sort of, you know, inability to use part of the face because something happened with this unapproved product. Surely if you were the recipient of this, (laughs) damage that you would be going after whoever you possibly could to be compensated so maybe is it is it sort of is it worth sort of just explaining the difference between i guess being criminally charged by a regulator or a government organization versus being charged sorry sued for damages by you know just just a joe blow off the street or the patient rather
3: you you, you've you've done a very good thing and you've separated it into three separate categories so let's firstly think about The first one is dealing with your freedom, your liberty, and your reputation. So that's the police charging you for some sort of criminal act, that you've gone and done something illicit or illegal. Um, You know, there would be charges that sort of fall under deliberately using something that you're not supposed to use on someone. I don't think they fall into this categorization. So I think the risk of that is fairly low, albeit not none. Then there's the second one, which is your right to practice medicine, and the regulator coming after you in that respect, which I think is, or, you know, your ability to practice in the field that you've trained in, that has a higher risk because the regulator can say, well, you put the public in danger, notwithstanding the fact you didn't know, you still put people in danger. You should have asked questions that we would expect someone of your intelligence, capability and competence to ask. So there's a higher risk there. And then there's the final one, which is, I'm going to get sued and I'm going to lose my livelihood and I'm going to be out of sum of money. And that really becomes a question of: um, to what extent did you know? To what extent could you have asked? And any competent medico legal lawyer is going to be really going after you for the sake of how could you not have known? You know, how could you not have asked those questions? You are taking someone's, you know, you, you, you're dealing with someone who's vulnerable. You're dealing with a the patient. They have an expectation that you do things with a certain level of competence and skill. And you would be saying, well, I was misled, I was deceived, etc. It's a horrible, nasty situation. And from my perspective, look, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, I think regulations sometimes in Australia go too far. I think that in Australia, we sometimes are a bit of a nanny state. But I actually think in this space, particularly when it comes to making sure the stuff that we're using on people's appearances on their, in, in their bodies I think the standard needs to be ridiculously high. We, we learned that with the Lidomide. We learned that with Foundation 41. There's a reason that these entities exist and they tend to be on the conservative side. They need to be because the consequences are profound. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's true.
3: I think we have an amazing regulator here. So we do have that high level of scrutiny.
2: You know, it takes 12 to 18 months for these products to be registered. It's not a quick um, rubber stamp thing. And to the point around, Jahan's point around knowledge of the product and, you know, knowing if it's registered, it's, it's the simplest thing in the world. You type in ARTG database or ARTG into a Google search and you can search every single component of that product, the name, the manufacturer, the supplier, it is very, very simple, but none of our customers ask for it and maybe because they've never needed to. But I think as a take home here, Is that, you know, and if you're using a product, you're not exactly sure if it's registered or not, get onto ARTG, put the name in. It it takes you two seconds.
0: Yeah, yeah, going back to what I was saying at the very start, I was actually contacted by injectors well before this aesthetic event and well before this story happened by just curious injectors who had heard about the new filler maybe coming and they said is it approved and I did exactly that in. I just went to ARTG and I said, I don't think so, but maybe they've changed the name to suit the Australian market or, you know, something else. Yeah. So, you know, I don't really care at the time because, you know, it, it sort of wasn't here yet, but it, it it's almost like the Swiss cheese effect where everyone just assumed, well, it must be approved, so so no one looked. That that that's sort of how yeah, it feels. Talking about it, so yeah. yeah. Well we've never had a reason. I mean, we've only had a
1: handful of providers of injectable products over the last sort of twenty yeah. years or so. I mean, there was the two big, Allegan and, and Galderma, and then obviously, you know, Ian, your company's come on board and there's and there's been a few yeah. others as well, but we're not like Europe, we don't have like 100 or, you know, 200 fillers on the market. We've been a fairly small, a small market. And I just think that Mm. everyone, rightly or wrongly, has just been under the assumption that if it makes it to market and they can buy it, that it's been through the process. So as you said, maybe this is a good sort of uh, warning for people to, no matter what people are telling them is to just do your own research because at the end of the day you're the one with the needle in your hand it's your business Absolutely, it's the patient on your on your treatment bed um, you need to take responsibility for it and, and check these things so if nothing else comes out of this podcast other than people just being oh my god <laughs> and this is interesting is I need to make sure that I'm doing my own due diligence as a, as a, as a provider
0: yeah I mean mm-hmm. the ARTG is really good I mean there's a couple of new things coming on the market and you know, I'm looking into using some of them and that's the first thing I did I went to ARTG because you know, I was told it's either coming or it's nearly here, it take a week, and that's the official approval. You know it's approved because it's on the ARTG um, yep. sort of website. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, um,
1: Ian, I understand, and, you know, um, maybe we'll have to edit some of this out, hopefully we don't, uh, <laughs> is that some people asked for proof of the registration. Mm. And this is mm. where the story takes another interesting turn, is Anyone. that allegedly, apparently, allegedly don't sue me, Um, (laughs) is that (laughs) apparently um, someone had put together a letter from the regulator that was falsified basically and made it look like it was a letter from a regulator, um, which Mm. then makes things even more tricky. And now we're talking then – you know, we'll get your thoughts on that, Ian, and then I'm sure we'll cross over to Mr. Jahan again because uh, I'm sure that the regulators don't like to be impersonated, so I'm sure there'll be some implications there potentially. But, Ian, I mean, can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, have I mm. sort of reported accurately? Yeah, no, 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 we're, we're sort of we're being very yeah, careful no, no, here. No, no. Yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, um, the conversations I had with this particular customer were around the thing of, okay, the product's supposedly approved. Can you ask the supplier for the ARTG certificate? Oh yes, we'll go ahead and do that. They came a few days and they said, "Oh, here's the certificate." And I'm like, "Oh, great, that's fantastic." I was relieved to know that this, you know, was available. Um and then you I just it comes with an, a unique identifier. It can't be um, you can't spell it wrong, it can't be, you know, interpreted wrong. It's a it's a six-digit number. So I put it went online, went onto the ARTG certificate database, pumped in the number, still no certificate so they should match basically i went right, back to the customer i said look as far as i can tell the numbers don't match or they don't appear so there was a bit of back and forth and and uh, and i think you know i, I guess this is where we ended up in the situation was they res- this customer received an email from purporting to be from the TGA saying yes this product's approved but we're behind schedule and we haven't posted Uh, this product on the uh, the database, which sounded to me very, very odd because it's literally the same step. The certificate comes, it's posted online. Mm. It's alleged that this email was also fraudulent, that this didn't come from the TGA and and it was confirmed by the TGA. So it's kind of, you know, where does it stop really? Where does the deception stop? But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's where it kind of Finished and, and I've kind of pulled back from it. I, I know there's a few other things going on, but as far as I can tell, both those documents, the, the certificate and the email, were 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 fraudulent. So.
1: and you, you called the TGA or someone called the TGA and asked them to verify the validity of said yeah. communication. Yeah, yeah. and I think they about went
2: six or seven people have done
1: it, <laughs> and then the TGA were like. What WTF? What are you about? Yeah, okay.
0: But then, yeah. I, yeah. I, you know, I don't know if Jahan can elaborate. But what what does the TGA do then? Because they they, you know, we're talking about it and we're trying to get information yeah. to sort of protect yeah. the public. This is a
2: 64000 thousand dollar question, right? All of this just opens up an opportunity to show what the TGA will do.
3: I'll tell you a story that's about this, but not about this. Many many moons ago, I represented a fellow who was uh, he he. He was addicted to substances he shouldn't be, and what he did is he went to a doctor's office, he took a script pad, stole it, wrote himself a bunch of uh, pill scripts, went, filled up um, scheduled uh, classes of scheduled drugs he wasn't allowed to have, took them, got in a car that wasn't his, drove it in the side of a uh, real estate agency. Now, of all the charges and offenses, which one do you think is the most serious? ostensibly you would think it would be, I drove my car through a wall, but it's, it's, it's taking the doctor's masquerading ad, as a doctor. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's a big deal. It's a real big deal. And, um, you are dealing with the feds. I wouldn't mess with the feds. Give me the state police any day of the week. I wouldn't mess with the feds. I would imagine the TGA has said this off to the Commonwealth DPP and, um, <laughs> you, you're going to have a bad day. <laughs> right. I'll just say that it's, I, I actually hope so.
2: I, I do. I, I genuinely do because I think this is something that needs to be investigated thoroughly and it needs to be explained to the market or how did we get into this situation. So, and I, like we're on this podcast, we don't, we're not regulators, you know, we're obviously involved in the industry, but we don't have the power to do anything. And I hope the TGA respond appropriately and, and hopefully quickly as well. So,
1: yeah. So what, What I mean, you sort of alluded to very bad things, Jahan, but what are we talking
3: about? Are we, are we talking about jail? Are we talking, are we, like, what? how bad well, could it get? Let's begin with the assumption that under Australian law, you're innocent until proven guilty. There may be a completely valid and innocent explanation for all of this. There could be a series of horrible mistakes. There could be a hacker. There could be a million things, right? There's, we, we We can't point fingers, but ultimately deceiving members of the public as to the efficacy and safety of a product like this. I cannot imagine there isn't some fraud provision within the scope of the criminal federal legislation that could be utilized, and the penalties in the system are severe for that. As right they should be. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I want to ask Ian because you're, you know, you're a distributor. You're, I, I guess, if you were dealing with a TJ, you're called a sponsor, right? When you're, um, yeah, you know, yeah. bringing in product with or it. indeed yeah. exporting product. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm just trying to understand, like let's assume everyone's innocent until they're guilty. What were they thinking? Like, you know, surely they couldn't have believed themselves that, oh, yeah, it's, it's just uh, delayed on the website, but we're good to go. I mean, you, I, I'm assuming you would have never have done that.
2: Look, yeah, the, the risk is so dramatically big versus the reward. I don't think why you would even contemplate it. The only thing I can think is the driving force here is a commercial outcome. It's mm. like, you know, I think it's a good product. It looks real and it's packaged really nice, so I think it's going to be safe. Yeah. Oh, this process is you know overblown and and you know it's just a rubber stamp thing, a, yeah. and therefore I'm going to go ahead and sell. I, I don't know if that was the thought, but you know that's the only logical thing I could think of of why they would do it,
0: but. Um, yeah, it's, it, it mean, seems like that it's, uh, it would be very easy to get caught if if this was malicious, uh, presumptively yeah, malicious. Yeah.
2: I yeah. Mean, and it has been very easy to be caught because you go into the ARTG and it, you're two seconds later you've figured out that, okay, it's not registered.
0: Yeah. I mean, you deal with, um, Korean, um, you know, mm. uh, a supplier, I guess, and and I'm yeah. sure you've got a good relationship and so on. But yeah. well, in the process yeah. of registering with the TGA, that's your job right. as the sponsor, correct? The Korean company supplying you with, say, your threads. The documents. They, they yeah. don't get involved with yeah. the TGA or do they? It's a, it's a they?
2: partnership. So the, the manufacturer supplies the dossier, which is this seven-part process of mm-hmm. the document. Um, they're obviously understand the manufacturing process they understand all the clinical data they've developed it and so forth and then the local sponsor will work with a regulatory agency to submit to TGA and they'd be kind of the in go between um but the initial document this common technical document um is provided by the manufacturer
0: okay um so yeah i was just wondering jahan from a sort of a legal perspective can the supplier in korea as well as the sponsor be in trouble here or is it probably no, the sponsor? no
3: no no it's it's, it's uh it, it it would it would beg a belief if that was the case it's it's almost like uh i would liken it to the analogy of i sell you a stolen car or what I, and and you know you blame the original poor owner who had no idea it's right. it's just it doesn't i, I don't think so it could be. And the other thing is, look, it could be a very good product. It could very well be a perfect product that's suitable and sensible, but it hasn't gone through the tests and regulations. You know, it's, um, there's, a, it, it's, you might be a great injector, but if you haven't completed your training and gotten signed off, we shouldn't be allowing you near patients. And it's the same exact concept.
0: Yeah. I've got another question. And again, we won't use names, but I'm assuming this company or, or the sponsor of this filler would have had a medical director um, to be able to handle and hold product.
2: No, I don't. I don't. It, I think that with this situation, they have got a reg, a local regulatory agency um, as the kind of the maybe the sponsor or the supporter of the of the of the application. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I. I think small companies don't. Don't generally have a medical director. They might get like a consultant to support it, but on like a, on the payroll, it's pretty it's pretty rare.
0: Mm. Right. I mean, again, mm. speculation. I wasn't there, but I was led to believe that the the product was sort of being shown and maybe even injected. So, surely there was yeah. some sort of medical oversight from the company. But I don't know. I, I have no idea, and that that's just something that I wonder whether that person might uh sort of be criticized for not doing their due diligence to actually yeah. you know look oh, yeah. what is this product what am I actually supplying look, and doing I think here this this raises a bigger issue and and and
2: we will see a significant number of new products coming into australia in the next 3 4 5 years i have no doubt and it's a good time i think competition is fantastic you know as injectors you know, the market needs to sit back and say, okay, what is this company? Where is their background? What is their uh, credibility? Do they have a medical director? Do they have legitimate or credible people working for them? These are the questions that we should be asked, like injectors should be asking themselves. Not, I see a product, I see a price. Um, And I think maybe part of that is how we've gotten to this situation. Um you know we're a small company we do our best but we're not perfect um and, and i think other companies are coming and i think that you know injectors need to be critical of who they work with who they they uh, partner with as as injectors and you know asking for the art certificate asking for you know documentation um, asking for um all of the the uh, clinical information and and clinical studies and so forth and really getting a handle on product not just buying it because it's on a portal and it's got a price that's cheaper than what i've got now yeah Uh,
0: i do
1: i do wonder if you know some of this this mindset and this sort of lackadaisical approach to the way things are being done have have we kind of created that in some ways by you know the commoditization of, of products selling them as you know, lunchtime facelifts, it's easy, you know, you've got people who are coming into the industry who've gone into this field of study with the pure intention of becoming an injector who potentially don't have that depth of knowledge and experience in a a public hospital setting, the constant price war that's on. I I wonder, like, this is potentially just a byproduct of the general attitude to our industry. I mean, what what do you think about that? Is it it a bridge too far, do you think, or do you Um, think there's some validity there?
0: Look, it's loosely aligned, but I mean, you know, this is sort of pretty serious stuff if some of these allegations are true. Sure, but you've got to think, what would lead someone to believe they could get away with this? Well, look, again, this is speculation. I don't know these people, and and we only know know, what a few people have told us. But, you know, in their defense... Not that I'm defending them, but I can only assume they didn't know what they didn't know. And they thought this was like importing lip balm or, you know, something that's not a medicine. Uh, You know, I'm I'm trying to see it from their perspective because to me it just seems so obvious, like Ian said, that just a quick search. You know, like I said, injectors were asking me prior to this, is this thing approved? So it's not hard to prove that it it wasn't. And so they were definitely going to get caught. So you can only assume that they were naive enough for something else to think that they wouldn't get caught. I don't know. Or maybe they just didn't understand. It's different. I kind of agree to you up
1: to the point that fraudulent fraudulent emails from the regulator. That's the point where I start
0: to go. Well, you don't know who supplied that. Is that one malicious party trying to cover their own tracks? We don't know. This is all speculation. Uh,
1: It's it's an onion, isn't it? Yeah. Something that I was wondering about, and maybe you can answer this, Jake, and I'm not sure, Jahan, if this is your area, but I mean, I've seen doctors bring back products from overseas, or go to a conference in Dubai, or over in you know Paris, and they'll bring a suitcase mm. back full of filler, and I don't know where it <laughs> ends it. up, but I'm assuming it's just not sitting there. And so, do you know what the law is around people bringing products in and injecting them that aren't approved under the, I'm doing inverted commas here for those listening, um, personal use? What, what does yeah. that mean?
0: So. Maybe Jahan can elaborate, but I did a bit of reading about this. And so personal use means for you or maybe your siblings or your wife, but, you know, not prescribing it, not selling it, not making it commercial, um, as part of that sort of ring fencing of personal use, it can only be about three months' supply, right. so a small amount basically. So right. if you're bringing back a, a suitcase full of filler or toxin, yeah. it's clearly not just for you, unless you're very sweaty or <laughs> something else. Um, it'd be, you know, but there are circumstances where, say, for example, um, pandemic is a good example, where um, you know some of these, um, uh, you know, vaccines or, or other medicines, they are. Approved quite quickly, and so some of the, the the rules were slightly changed, I guess, in exceptional circumstances. But also, let's say there was a shortage of a drug for, I don't know, cancer patients. Um, you can get special um, approval for drugs that are available abroad, but not here in Australia. Mm. So for non-approved drugs, you can get, I think it's called a special access um, yeah something something like that, yeah. um but you need to involve with prescribing doctor and you have to go through a little process with the t g a mm. so you can't just basically load up in Dubai and come back and go, right I've got this new stuff from uh, from dubai let's go personal use Friday yeah, yeah. Well, well can you fill in the gaps, jahan and just <laughs>
3: or is that correct look I, I I don't deal with it on a day to day basis, but I have heard of special access um and you know. It, it does happen. Yeah. L- let's take a, a common. What's that uh, weight loss drug that everyone uh, addicted Zepic. to? Yeah, well, there's shortages here, right? So if you were to say that I I need a, a three or four month supply, I can only source it from Canada or America, um, and I've got the relevant scripts. I mean, that that's a that's a terrible example because it's permitted here and it's under the relevant legislation. But um, you you can you can under you know very specific circumstances seek that, but it's. It's not a day-to-day thing that we deal with in our practice. Um, and my advice would be very, be very, very cautious. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, people are so gung-ho about new products and things. I think one of the reasons that in this particular market, and I've, I've never been a practitioner, but I've represented many practitioners, is because we really have had that duopoly. And it, it really has been... A or B, take it or leave it. Like those are your two options. And now that there's all these other options, there's an excitement and a desire to, you know, maybe I, I will get a better result. Maybe I can increase my margins here and there. But there isn't that deep knowledge of the of the two and how they work. And I think we need to educate ourselves, which is number one and two. Just double check things, right? If you're not a double checker, hire a lawyer. That's what we do. You know, it's it's it, 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 it is staggering to me how many times people will come to us after the fact and go, oh, you know, I didn't know, I couldn't have seen. It's like, well, it was pretty easy. You just go into the search portal and put in the six numbers. Like, I I think you need to to write a a very large check now because, uh, (laughs) you know, you're a qualified health practitioner. You've gone to university, you're educated, and you didn't have enough sense to do that. Maybe there's an issue.
0: Yeah. Um, I think you said mm. at the very start, David, um, I get WhatsApps, oh, emails, uh, Instagram, direct messages on, on an almost daily basis oh, from some random company. And it always looks dodgy for, for multiple reasons. But one, that's how they're communicating to sell me drugs. It's it, it's through a WhatsApp or something similar. Um, yeah. But What scares me is that clearly someone's buying it because there's a market for this stuff because it's so common. It happens every day, right? So... (sighs) You know, if you're an injector listening, I, can I just implore you? I know it might look tempting to, you know, like Jahan just said, to save some margins and, and use some cool new stuff, but it, it clearly is dodgy just from everything about it. And, you know, you can't speak to someone, you can't see someone, you can't visit the factory, you can't um, see a premises. Um, it's all through WhatsApp or, or, or a message, and it's very, very yeah. dodgy. Well, we get
1: half a dozen of those, do a dozen of those companies following our... Instagram. I, uh, Instagram and we're constantly yeah. like removing them blocked. Just, yeah. They just keep coming up. It's like whack-a-mole. You get rid of one of them and five more of them
2: come back. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know, the most uh, devious side of
2: that is, you know, you go, you get a, a, an email or a WhatsApp and it's products you've never heard of. And you go, okay, never heard of it. It's probably more risky. So to do it. The worst ones are, oh, You can buy product that you use every day. You can buy the leading toxin. You can buy the leading dermal filler and so forth. So I assume that's less, the thing is less risky and more likely to be purchased. The flips, the issue with this is you have no idea where that product was manufactured. Um, You know, I've worked for a large large company in the past and, you know, we found our syringes being refilled with silicone. Oh, (laughs) shit. God knows what else. So it looks perfectly fine. The packaging is immaculate. The syringes are actually literally the syringes because they've been given, you know, after they've been injected. Oh and God. you think you're injecting the product that you've got in your cupboard at the moment. It's registered. I've got less risk. The reality is sometimes it's real and sometimes it's God knows what else. So it, and that would a, a point to you know you know these these injectors that are thinking I'm just buying what I've already got. Well don 't know where it's coming from
0: yeah uh, what I, what is quite scary and, and maybe our listeners in the UK and Europe are probably thinking hmm I do that all the time in, in Europe parallel importing or I, I think that's what it's called is very common it it just it's just normal almost and there's multiple online and and sort of aesthetic pharmacies where you buy your stuff from and uh, you know you don't go through the supply like we do here in Australia so I think this is a very australian centric um story in in some Mm. ways because in other countries it just works totally differently
1: yeah I, i i kind of wonder as well what kind of implications this kind of stuff could have for our industry so if what we are talking about goes through the legal process and it all comes out in the wash that what we're alleging or reporting allegedly happened did actually happen Ian, I mean, where do you think this sort of potentially places us as an industry? Because, you know, we're all sort of stakeholders here. We all want a safe industry. We want a good mm-hmm. reputation. We don't want more over-regulation mm. and, and rules that make life difficult and unnecessarily cumbersome for business owners and injectors. And so, that's the thing that worries me. And I, you know, I read your, your yeah. Facebook post on this and that was something that came through loud and clear from you was, you know, the concern for the reputation of the industry. And, where this might land us if if this sort of all unravels and and mm. you know so yeah I'm keen to sort of flesh that out with you a little
2: bit and, and get your thoughts yeah yeah look I think there's there's a positive side to this is that you know we've never experienced something like this and opportunity to communicate to the market that I can, it can it can happen you know we've discovered it can happen but hopefully you we've given you some of the tools now to check so don't. Don't take everything at face value. Um, you know, um, ask a few more questions. I think, you know, we, it, we all benefit from that as an industry. Um, I am genuinely worried that, though, you know, we've had quite a bad run with the media and aesthetic medicine in the last year and a half, two years. And rightly, there's some terrible things that happened. And, you know, sometimes we call ourselves or we've been called a cowboy industry. This kind of just reiterates it. And, you know, from an injector point of view and a a practitioner point of view we've had some issues, now we've got suppliers acting like cowboys. Um, And and maybe there's a need for the suppliers to be regulated a little bit more, held to a higher regard or higher standard. So my hope is that this is a benefit and, and, and we all learn from it. My worry is that, uh, you know, uh, we won't. Um, but, yeah, uh, who knows what the future holds. I, I certainly certainly don't think – I think hopefully we've caught it in the bud and it's not something that's, that's going to turn into a bigger issue and the media can can work around that. But, yeah, it's pretty sad
0: that it's mm. even got to this stage. Mm. What do you think, Jahan? What do you think the regulators got up their sleeve for us? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I think that most regulators think the solution to problems is more regulation, right? I mean, that's the, you know, that's the the bureaucratic solution to almost every problem. And it's it's concerning and it's hard because 99.99% of practitioners, suppliers all do the right thing. It's this small element that exists in every ecosystem that gives everyone a bad sort of name. And so I think that we, um, I I think that there needs to be a a greater depth of understanding. And I think that there's huge value in education. The the stuff that you're doing is priceless, you know, teaching people what they need to know in order to do their job correctly, because it's, it's not just having some abstract idea. You need to know that there's a database that you can type six letters in, six numbers in and get the information you want.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ian, I don't know if you've got a solution, but, you know, as injectors and David and I were talking the other day, part of the regulations now are we're supposed to give our patients, you know, like the the insert from the filler, like the, Mm. I guess, the expiry date, the batch number, et cetera, et cetera. But that's sort of meaningless unless you know it's a real batch number and a real thing from a yeah. company right so do, you, yeah. do you, yeah. can you foresee a system where you can just scan a barcode and you're like yep that's legit stuff let's go or, or no you know, you that's know what?
2: Not- i i am super lucky to be working with the only product at the moment or that has had like a qr code it's a qr code on the box it's a qr code on the syringe it's literally take a photo of it and it verifies the manufacturer the data manufacturer the batch number and so forth and you can once it's scanned once, then it it can't be scanned again. So it's like, this has been scanned. You can't reuse it. Right. So actually, I mean, again, I'm really lucky that we've got the, this level of technology in our product. Um, it works really well. Uh, you know, I think the more practitioners know about it, the more patients know about it. And I think this is a question for patients as well is, okay, you've injected me with this product. I trust you because you're the practitioner. Let me see it. Let me see the syringe. Let me see the box. Let me see the insert. And, and these in patient implant cards are really, really powerful things. I think it gives you more more information. Um, but there is technology that suppliers can implement to verify that supply chain. Yeah. Um I, I can't talk to any other product, but I know the one that we work with has, has that technology. It's 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 fantastic.
0: That's amazing. I didn't actually know yeah. that. So yeah, that's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Got, yeah.
2: Yeah. In.
0: yeah i was going to say as well something else to think about is
1: not only the immediate potential adverse event that might happen from injecting a product that happened to be not approved is what happens like in a year's time you get a nodule something that happens later like you have no company behind you to support you through this process so i mean i've been a clinic owner for you know 10-15 years maybe more and um often, not often, but occasionally you'll get a patient that comes back with a delayed onset nodule or they get some sort of allergic reaction or you've got something weird that happens. And when you're dealing with reputable companies, they're generally a phone call away. They can't be too helpful. They get their medical affairs team involved, their their clinical side of things. And it's, you know, you sort of got a support network around you to try and get to the bottom of this. So it's not just the immediate aftermath Mm. of potentially the, the adverse event. It's the long I mean that, these products when now learning particularly HA fillers are you know they're lasting many more many more years than what what we've been told so they're hanging around and the problem yep. just isn't immediate sometimes
0: yeah that's why I, I- I like working with big companies and you know sometimes injectors go oh it's really expensive and I'm going to go for the lowest common denominator and get the cheap one but you know you have the backing of like you just said the whole apparatus of a global pharma company who's done their research they've probably seen these things before they know what to do they've got protocols and if shit hits the fan they've got legal teams and other things so you know I I feel like you know when you buy a product it's not just the product that you're buying you're buying the support and, and education everything else that comes with it, yeah. Absolutely. So you know, as injectors, we need to make a bit more sensible decisions about why we choose products. In my opinion, yeah,
2: absolutely. it's well, definitely not going to get that off of a product that you buy from IG. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> well, you, you never know. You could WhatsApp them and get some WhatsApp advice. No. <laughs> Come oh, on, in. Right, no doubt, they'd be very, very responsible
2: and reply to you <laughs> immediately. No doubt.
0: Yeah. Um, if you were the business owner, then let's, oh, let's throw you in the ring here. Oh, good. Yeah, and and you know your, I don't know, your hotshot your doctor said, hey, this new filler's amazing, let's get it in. And then suddenly you found out this story happened in your clinic. What would you do? I'd fire everyone. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the product's been
1: injected into a, a patient or yeah, well, it's and just then, ended up on the shelf.
0: Yeah, and then in your friendly competitor, um, company owner says, oh, hey, you know that stuff you've got? Um, not approved. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I would call my friend Jahan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you, it, it sounds to me like you're coming scarily close to a scandalous allegation, uh, Jake. And I would be very concerned that you would speak to my client in that in that tone. who will be responding in a fulsome way in fourteen days. I can't
0: hear you. I'm, t- I'm taking, we'll, my, taking my earphones off now. And then we'll get him, Johnny. Get, we'll, get him. Get him.
1: Yeah.
3: No, I no, mean, no. It's, it's, it's a great question. Yeah.
1: Right. it's a it's a great question. I think. Right? Yeah. I mean, when in doubt, I, I call your lawyer. Basically, I mean, if if you, I mean. I think the, the the first thing to do is just get advice. I mean, so get all the facts as best you can, document them, get legal advice. Um, that's the first thing that I would do is, is talk to a lawyer that understands this area of the law. Mm. Um, and then from there be guided on what they think the most prudent and sensible approach is moving forward. So, you know, maybe you voluntarily go to the regulator and say, this is a situation, this is exactly what's happened, full transparency. Um, get the product off your shelf as quickly as possible. Um, if it's been, I mean, has it been injected to a patient? What's yes. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Many times. I, I think I think I'm going f- beyond what I've just said. I'm going I'm going to divert to my to my learned my learned colleague over <laughs> to my learned colleague over there. <laughs>
3: I, I think I think transparency would have to be the yeah. way, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that I think that you'd have to play with your cards open and say, look, this this happened. The reason we, you know, this is this. We 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 bungled it. We've messed it up. Here's what we've done wrong. Here's how we plan to fix it. Da 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 da.
0: Yeah, and presumably you've got to be honest with your patients, let alone the, the TGA yeah. and and the, the lawyers. You've got to yeah. tell everyone. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, what? Yeah, I mean, what would the patient, if there isn't an if there isn't a, adverse outcome. an adverse outcome which would potentially result in a damages claim? I mean, wh- where are you placed there with that, Johnny?
3: It's irrelevant, really, whether it's, yeah. a, it's whether there's an adverse effect or not. There have been, there have been, you've used something on them that you're not allowed to use. The fact that it didn't have a catastrophic outcome is less pertinent. I was reading today about a, a, a story, um, not about this, but about this. It was a, a young woman who was pretending to be a doctor on TikTok, and <laughs> she was giving out giving out health information, oh. and. The, notwithstanding the fact that her health information was correct, she wasn't a doctor. She couldn't have had that authority. I think you'd find yourself in a similar sort of grounding here. Yeah. Wow. Not good. Can,
0: can I ask, like, um, let, let's say, theoretically, David does place that call to you, this is all live <laughs> and happening. What what do you guys do in the background? How long does it take you to go and do your research and and sort of form some sort of strategy. answer, strategy? Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, I, I think that, Like many things in life, Jake, I guess it's a triage type question. So sometimes David will will call me with something that is purely academic and, you know, I'll get back to you when I get back to you. Sometimes it'll be something that we think is academic, which is live. And sometimes like this is, this is, this is Depcon one type stuff. Like, Hey, I've injected a client with a product that's illegal. We know it to be illegal. What do we do? Um, I think you drop everything that you can conceivably drop and you, you get, you know, you start going through the bits and bobs. It's, it's uncharted territory. So uncharted mm. territory, you give yourself the right to take a little bit longer. Some things may seem like uncharted territory but happen with regularity. Um, you know, like, for example, uh, uh, notifications to, you know, the, the registry that, hey, I, I was drink driving or something like that. To the person, they're all a shock. We deal with those on a fairly regular basis. But um, we were misled through, if we take this story and accept all of the allegations as being proven, we were misled by someone purportedly providing us documents that bore the TGA's mark. They gave us repeated assurances. We went to a website or you know, we may have gone to a website that they sent us with a link, which was a false link to the I I don't know how far you take it. I think the regulator will be okay with that. Mm. They won't be okay that you did it, but that it, it makes sense. Yeah. It's very, very different than, no, nah, man, some guy hit me up on Telegram. Shot me a box of these syringes, and I just started jabbing them in people's faces you know there's, there's levels to this
0: <laughs> well, joking aside you know there are well presumably there are people doing it because these things are so frequent these messages so what what is the situation if you know you get caught doing that like what what is even i mean what's the offense called and and what are the likely um sort of fallout of that?
3: Look, it really depends. It could be one offence. It could be a number. Um, it, you know, it, it, it would. Every case runs on its own merits, right? So, I don't want to speculate on the range of offence offences it could conceivably be.
2: Mm.
3: A few jump out at me. You know, it's 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 grievous bodily harm to you know um, inject something with something that's <laughs> that's potentially poisonous or incorrect. Like it's it's serious stuff, and so we've got to make sure that we just deal with these things and, and more importantly it's the reputation of the particular clinic that doctor and that you know practice um you only get one reputation and people are generally pretty forgiving of mistakes made in good faith what they won't accept is a cover-up and mm. nor should they
0: yeah fair
1: <laughs> any uh any thoughts from you there ian i've been watching you sort of uh, <laughs> watch <laughs> watch this all Such unfold scary
2: situation yeah to yeah look um yeah, I mean, I can't comment anything yeah. legally. I, yeah. I, I just think um, I hope that nobody's found themselves in this situation. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, it's more likely to have people have found this in the situation with products they've bought yeah. through Telegram or IG and stuff like that than this specific situation that we're talking about. But, yeah. You know, because, you know, there's, there's, there's figures that I've heard, you know, fifteen to twenty percent of the market is is this black grey market and stuff like that. So it's a lot. A wow, lot is, this the, is this global? You're talking about, about?
1: Yeah. Is Australia or global? That
2: figure, global. Yeah. Wow.
1: yeah, 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 massive. Yeah,
2: and I think in Australia, it's it's probably I, I would suspect it's at least that. I think because of our pricing and the way that things have gone, I think there's it's probably more attractive to Australians to look at these kind of products. Mm. Um, but. Um yeah, this when we're, we're not talking about one or two syringes here. I think we're talking about a significant amount. Yeah. And remember, these products can be purchased by anybody. Doesn't go to a doctor, doesn't go to a nurse, it can be bought by a beauty therapist, it can be bought by anybody. Any, this is it's such a, a dangerous area. Anyone with cash can get a product, basically.
0: Anyone with cash. Probably what's most scary is And, you know, this is why we've got to be careful with how we educate people, including ourselves Mm. and our Patreon and, uh, you know, social media. It could be consumers buying and injecting themselves. Forget, you know, clinics and injectors. So it it, it gets even more complicated when, you know, a non-doctor who can't be uh, have their medical license taken away because they don't have one? Is <laughs> potentially setting up and, and maybe not yeah. just injecting themselves, injecting others? I yeah. mean, how how far does yeah. it go? Yeah, let's it's, not give people any more ideas. <laughs> I know it's terrifying. I mean, like, what, what do you, what could what can the law do, Jahan, for 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 these let's call them dodgy pharmacies or dodgy suppliers? I mean, what what do we do if I come across one or someone WhatsApps me? What do I do with that?
3: Look, Look I. I uh, the good thing is, if you're in a profession of which, you know, we are, um, holding yourself out to be a professional where you don't have the expertise, the law has offenses for that and, and, and substantial ones. Uh, I liken it to sort of those backyard, uh, the, the more the more scary examples, are those backyard tattooists, mm-hmm. right? that were quite popular in the nineties where, you know, you just got a tattoo gun and you just went to town on people. Um, There's serious penalties for impersonating a medical professional. And there's very serious penalties for for something like, um, you know, injecting someone because the the catastrophic consequences of vascular occlusion or, you know, causing a clot or any of these other necrosis, it's profound. And so the law recognizes that fairly well. Um, if someone, I mean, I think one of the things that perhaps I, I was unkind about and I don't want to be flippant about, people do make mistakes. And if anyone on this listening to this has made a mistake, they've purchased something they thought was lawful and, and hasn't, um, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be happy to chat off the record um, you know, and, and give you some honest advice on the next steps. I don't want people to feel like they're trapped or add more pressure to them. Mistakes do happen, genuine mistakes, especially if you're misled. But um, as a general rule, the neuroticism is a good thing, and for many people, I would be surprised if you know. Oh, this Telegram or this Instagram group says I can get this product and it can inject it into a face. I will. It's 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 unlikely, but you know, I've seen I've seen mm. stuff that would shock me. So,
0: <laughs> just now, literally just now. Oh, you just got an ad. There you go on Facebook Messenger. <laughs> there you go. Not I must that. have heard you talking about. And them. I've got their WhatsApp number, but I won't read it out. <laughs> you
1: should.
2: <laughs> it's
1: yeah. Well, I mean, th- so this sort of situation is is sort of unfolding and um, I don't know if we've got too much more to add to it today because we've got limited information and we're sort of making assumptions and alleging things and, you know, it's a bit of Chinese whispers. So I think that we'll sort of let this play out and then maybe we'll report back and, and sort of do a follow-up to this episode when we've got some more details and we've got some more confirmation of what's actually happening. But I, I guess just sort of the take-home messages for people listening to this um, would be, always proceed with caution, never assume that a product that's being sold to you or potentially um, being marketed to you is legitimate you have to take responsibility for any product that ends up in your hands or in your clinic, so as a clinic owner or as an injector, um, if you do have a situation that you find yourself in as Jahan said, um, you know get in contact with some legal support whether, whether it's him and um, you know we do have a, a partnership with, with your firm uh, Jahan so if anyone wants to reach out um, well we Go can, to yeah. uh,
0: insideaesthetics.com forward slash offers.
1: Yeah, and you get um, 10% off uh, any of your legal fees if, if you do need to get in contact and get some support. Um, but whether it's Jahan or someone else, um, get in contact with a lawyer, stay calm, don't make stupid, you know, impulsive decisions and, and sort of do things that you haven't really thought through or don't have advice on. So um, be cautious, be um, be sensible, take <laughs> and and get good advice. I guess yeah. would be the take-home message. You know, and,
0: and just from a, an injector's perspective, whilst we kind of moan in Australia, we often feel like we're left behind and we get stuff years later than every, any other country. In a funny way, that's the greatest problem ever. Because we can learn from everyone else's experience and you know, the, the the great thing about things like social media is we can reach out to our colleagues across the globe and ask them is this stuff good is this bad you know mm. tell us about the complications you can reach out to the company and you know as much as you know injectors have got their own um, skill level etc I think it's it's up to everyone to also push them push themselves and learn yeah. themselves and ask questions themselves uh, rather than relying on you know your clinic owner or your medical director it's also you who's injecting it so ultimately yeah. we've all got that responsibility but yeah. um, thank you chaps so I thought that was a, a really interesting conversation kind of a, a bit of a, a strange of run yeah. away spur of the moment because this is sort of as we say it's live and happening yeah um, but uh, yeah maybe we'll do a part two yeah. as things unfurl keep us keep us updated Ian, with um, what you hear and
1: um, yeah you seem yeah, to perhaps. be the man with uh, the info or one of them so.
2: Keep us posted. Yeah, and I don't know how I ended up in that situation, but yeah, yes, yeah, so
1: I'll, I'll do my best. And Jahan, um, potentially we will we'll call uh, uh, for your counsel and opinions and, uh, and advice once again, <laughs> as we seem to do with monotonous regularity.
3: No, it's, it's it's always a privilege. You guys ask the right questions.
0: Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a good evening. See you later. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. For our latest news, follow us on
0: Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics.
1: Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward
2: slash Patreon for more information.